If you are listening to this on the day the episode is released, Happy New Year! I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and I thought before we move forward with some new business in 2024, the pawn and the pendulum wanted to take one last look at the year we left behind because honestly, 2024 looks terrifying, and you are dragging us kicking and screaming into this year. So we, you can't make us go. Uh, no, actually, it's it's just been like another really strong year for horror movies, and we have assembled the team, and we are going to uh, a few of us are going to give our individual top tens for the year. Some movies that you may have seen. Uh, these are always great. You know, if you've seen these movies, uh, you maybe you'll agree. And if you don't agree, you can yell into the cloud and tell us what dunderheads we are for our list. And that's okay, too. So here are the co-hosts we have with us today. Up first from the Bodies of Horror podcast, looking at horror through the lens of disabilities, we have Miss Nicole Goble. Nicole, how are we, love? We are doing great. It is lovely to have you on, as always. Yes, excited to be here and talk about what a fantastic, I think, year 2023 was for horror. Lots of, I think, really interesting titles and, and having a slight glimpse of what other folks chose within their top 10. I'm really excited to talk about some of these films. Yeah, spoiler alert, you have the most eclectic list of the bunch. I was looking at yeah. your titles there and I'm like, these are some good titles and some I haven't seen. So I'm like jotting those down for later. So I am really excited to hear you speak on some of those. Also with us today from, I feel like when I introduce you, it's like introducing Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies because he had <laughs> so many nicknames. This is awesome. From Halloweenies, from the Losers Club, and from Girls on the Boys, Miss Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are we? Hey, I'm pretty good. You know, I don't have like James Brown behind me, like dancing to introduce me, mm -hmm. but that's all right. You know, it's good to have goals and something to work towards. <laughs> She is the queen of staying and living in America, Rachel. That's that's all we care about. So on with us again, uh, we have from the Movies for Life podcast, as well as a writer for Bloody Disgusting and Manor Valum, as well as others, Mr. Brian Kuyper. This is kind of the warm up before we kind of like getting our mix in before we have our deep dive into all the Frankenstein movies. Brian, how are we? Yeah, uh, doing good. Glad to be here. Um, this is my second uh, podcast recording of the day so far uh, well this is only this is two of two so I don't have more to come after this so uh, but, yeah. so what's your regimen then how do you keep that voice how do you keep the pipes feeling fresh then in between recordings Lots do you have water, like you know. water no ginger tea no, no honey no gargling salt water <laughs> no anything like no, that I, I don't take nothing. that good care of my voice sorry 
Okay, so. nothing like that. <laughs> Not like four cigars in no, between. Just, um, no, nothing you gotta like that. You got to do something to make it sound cool, right? Okay, so, no. fair enough. <laughs> okay. Well, here's how we're going to do this, because we're each going to give our list. We'll go uh, 10 through 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to each take a moment to talk about every movie individually. But since there's going to be a few titles that ended up on multiple persons list, we'll hold off on talking about a movie until it gets to like the highest rating. Meaning like if Nicole had something at eight and Rachel had something at five and Brian has it at four, we'll hold off on all talking about it until it came up, comes up at number four. And that way we're not uh, talking about one movie multiple times. And I think that will let us get through this a little bit quicker. And I think it'll be a little easier for the listeners as well. Yeah. And we'll keep things chugging along. Okay. Any questions on that? We're good. Oh, sounds good. Smart. And, I, <laughs> I, and I'd ask, I'm just basically stealing that directly from like halloween So I'm like, you know, just <laughs> how they do. I'm like, man, that does seem much like a much better way to do it. Why did we not do that last year? Then I remembered I had COVID uh, and wasn't yeah. thinking straight. Oh. So uh, I had a bad fever. <laughs> um, before we kick off the official list, are there any honorable mentions for each of you any titles that didn't quite make the list but just fell off of the end and i see a couple of y'all shaking your heads yes oh Nicole, yeah anything you want to mention um i don't know if it's necessarily horror i think it maybe falls more into a thriller suspense category but eileen uh, mm-hmm. i just mm. saw that um and I really enjoyed it. I had also just finished the book. So um, if you're looking for something to read as well, um, check that one out. But I really liked that. And there's a couple of films I think that we'll talk about um, that are on other folks' lists that were just like, it was really hard to kind of figure out like, uh, do I talk about this one? Is this one that really ranked in the top 10? Is it more of an honorable mention? So I don't know if I should mention those because they are going to be talked about. Okay. Yeah, you can mention them, I guess, when we get to them on other person's list, if you'd like. Um, how about yourself, Rachel? Yeah, same thing. I'm not going to – I do have some that are on some people's lists. So I'll save mm-hmm. those. But also outside of that, I really liked the new VHS movie. Uh, mm-hmm. VHS 85 I thought that was a pretty solid entry in that franchise where you know all the segments I actually really enjoyed uh, so I had a lot of fun with that and suitable flesh I thought like surprised the heck out of me it was so fun seeing Heather Graham and Barbara Crampton in those roles and it just felt like a very loving tribute to Stuart Gordon um, mm-hmm. so I had also had a ton ton of fun with that so those are two of my yeah. honorable mentions and I'll save the rest I have a couple, and the thing is, I'm going to mention them, and I know they're ones that Mike did not like, but I, mm. um, I, I liked Candyland. I, uh, I, wow. I, I know you gave that one star, and I was like, oh boy, uh, sorry, man. But I, I was, uh, I thought that was an interesting movie, um, and I liked the Meg too. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, any movie where Jason Statham says, as he's kicking someone into a shark's mouth, see you later, chum. I mean, got to be great. Five stars, cinema. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to do a quick mention of 
the angry black girl and her monster I thought was a mm. uh, it had some limitations like makeup and some things like that but overall I um, I thought there were some really interesting ideas and it's sort of a riff on the Frankenstein idea that was pretty good and some of the others that I might mention were in uh, other people's lists so I'm just going to leave yeah. it with that I have Candyland dead last for my year end ranking. Well, my my, my um, dead last is the exorcist believer so uh. that's okay yeah. and that's a totally <laughs> totally acceptable totally acceptable yeah. ranking for that um there's a couple of mine on here that others have listed that just made my cut miss my cut um i I want to give a shout out to like Brooklyn 45 from Ted Gee again, which um, missed my list because it's more drama than horror than anything else. Um, But it's really well acted. I've really enjoyed Ted Gee again's film so far. Uh, I think that he gets a lot from his performers. And I thought that that was like a kind of a spooky little chiller, but it was more drama than anything else. Um, also enjoyed VHS 90, uh, sorry, VHS 85. I thought that was a lot of fun. Thought it was a return to form. Mm-hmm. Um, Spoonful of Sugar is the other one I'll give a mention to because I thought in a year where there was a lot of discourse around uh, sex scenes and movies and uh, are they necessary and do they do anything that to get something that was like so overtly sexual and to have something that was like so intrinsic to the plot I thought that that was like really well done without being gratuitous uh, and I really enjoyed it and then the kind of like twist at the end of it I thought was really great like I actually did not see that coming it took me by surprise so Spoonful of Sugar is a uh, one that I wish I could include in my top 10 but just it was overall just a very strong year there's one other that is on a few other top 10 lists that I wish I could have included um, that I wish got a lot more love overall from the public but I'm glad we get to talk about it here with some others so all right let's get into it Um, I will start with my number 10 and then we'll go through Uh, I'll start my Number 10 is Birth Rebirth, but I'm going to hold off on talking about it right now. Brian, what is, uh, sorry, Rachel, what is your number 10? My number 10 is Cobweb. All right. And I'm going to hold off. I was going to say, I'm ecstatic to hold off. Yeah. It's on somebody else's list. Brian, your number 10. My number 10 is also Birth Rebirth. And Nicole, your number 10. Um, No, I've got to join the choir. Um, My number 10 is birth rebirth excellent would you mind doing the honors and talking about why this made your top 10 list yeah i i really like uh kind of reanimation and kind of frankenstein type stories and i thought this was such an imaginative kind of take on it um i also really really loved uh the main performances i thought they were so stand out in a year that there were some really i think exceptional performances it really, um, there are some pieces of the film that just didn't really hit with me, but I, it really just, I think, comes down to the performances and they were just so strong. Yeah, it's a great take and a great update on the Frankenstein mythos. I thought Laura Moore, Laura Moss with their script and their film 
did something unique with Frankenstein. I think something we don't often see done. I thought Marin Ireland gave one of the more underappreciated performances of the year that she's someone who starts off like really cold in this movie and approaches things from a purely scientific, almost like Peter Cushing's character in like the Hammer Frankenstein movies, maybe a a little less villainous, uh, at least like overtly villainous. But as the movie progresses, she becomes much more empathetic and much more parental as the movie goes on. Yet the curtain gets pulled back and you see how, some of the monstrous links that she actually went through to create this creature or this bring this young girl back to life. The only reason it's this low on my list is it feels like the horror elements were kind of forced in mm-hmm. to the movie. Um, it felt more like a drama. I was like, Oh, we'll put some horror in it because it's easier to sell that way. Uh, Brian, how about yourself? This is also on your well, list. Well, again, I mean, obviously if I'm suggesting we, cover of Frankenstein I, this is kind of a big thing for me right um, and there are so many riffs on this um, either happening right now or in the pipeline um, you know Guillermo del Toro's got his coming out and um, poor things just came out um, which is uh, I don't know I, I couldn't really call that a horror film personally but um, this was the one that I think fit the category that still fit the genre, I should say that um, was the one that I found most compelling um, of that uh, sort of twist and take on the, on the Frankenstein mythos. And yeah, just kind of echo what uh, everyone else said. It's, it's interesting to me that we're getting like all these Frankenstein kind of movies. right yeah. now. I have to wonder if Diablo, like... the Diablo Cody, Lisa Frankenstein's coming out yeah. early next year. Like... Yeah. Like, I know things trend. It's just, like, thinking about, like, AI and kind of this, mm-hmm. you know, ma- like, it's, I'm just wondering if this is an interesting way that people are exploring just the idea of, you know, man creating a monster kind of thing. Or like, who's the monster? Mm-hmm. And it's, but in a classic cinema way. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I really enjoyed this one as well. I did see it. And it would be on my honorable mention list. Same thing, like what you said, Mike, it didn't necessarily feel like a horror movie. Yeah, but I also find that very intriguing because the subject matter is very like dark, and some of the you know the processes of reviving this girl it, it's dark, and you know it's not easy to watch at all times, and so it's just one of those things where it's like, well, what is horror? You know, <laughs> what is horror, and what makes horror it could depend different for everybody. And I thought, yeah, the performances were great, and just for a story that's as classic as Frankenstein, I appreciated yeah. that this felt new a new way to explore it we're coming off a year where there were two dracula movies in theaters with renfield and last voyage and neither did well at the box office and that's not to say anything about the quality of those movies but neither let lit the box office on fire and yet there's always like new riffs on frankenstein and i think there's some genuine enthusiasm for it's Lisa Frankenstein, like the Valentine's Day movie coming out. Like, I think that looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should be interesting to see. You know, I think there's a lot of love for the classic monsters. At least I hope so, because our, our <laughs> downloads will be in the shitter 
for the first start of the year if there's not. Um, it feels like there's a lot of love for the classic monsters, but there's a don't necessarily pe- the studios don't know how to make them relevant mm-hmm. for modern audiences. So it should be interesting to see like how they keep getting adapted and what folks can do. Well, I think when we look at these adaptations, especially of such classic stories, I mean, these are not just classic in terms of, you know, the the universal monster films. I mean, these are classic stories um, that go back even much further. And I think it's really interesting when we see trends of either Dracula or Frankenstein, the Invisible Man, um, kind of emerging like what is that saying about where we are yeah at as a society and what are we going through that we kind of want to process it through some of these stories like frankenstein having a bit of uh kind of a an uptick as you know we've been navigating a pandemic and having to come out we emerged as folks that are changed and different from that experience as well Excellent. And just the questions we have about science sometimes, like not like there's a whole segment of the population now that won't trust science no matter what Mm -hmm. anymore. And I think that there's something to be said about like the mad scientist and where that might go too. So you're right. Spot on. All right. Number nine. Nicole, what was your number nine? I had... I had to give it up to to Jigs and go mm-hmm. Saw X. Okay. Uh, this was a film. We'll, we'll hold off okay. talking about We're going to yeah. hold off for right now. We'll get into it, though. Rachel, you're number nine. My number nine is also Saw X. Okay. <laughs> We're going to still hold off for a bit. Brian, your number nine. My number nine is Evil Dead Rise, which okay. I know we're holding off on. We're going to hold off for a bit. Uh, my number nine is a movie called Megalomaniac. Has anyone else seen this one? All right. So I'll speak briefly about it. It, it played festivals in 2022 and then got a video on demand release this year for its official release. It's kind of like if Henry, if Henry from Henry a portrait of a serial killer or the uh, lead killer in the golden glove, if they had children, oh, lovely. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it is like a twin brother and sister that are raised by a serial killer and then they become adults. It is one of like the meanest, most uncomfortable movies I ever sat through. It is the reason why like people give content warnings before movies um i introduced it oh yeah it is i introduced it before telluride horror in 2022 having only read the synopsis and not having seen it and you know my introduction style tends to be a little glib and a little jokey and that's how I introduced this movie. And then, like, you sit through 90 minutes of really bad, like, sexual violence and overt violence and, like, torture. It's like psychological, emotional, and physical torture. And I'm just, like, sinking in my seat, going, like, I can't believe I, like, made jokes out of, like, not knowing how bad it was going to be. Um, but it's really well done. So I think it's a Belgian, Belgian movie. Uh, it's a brother and a sister 
like that are raised by a serial killer. They become adults and like the daughter like lives under the brother's thumb and he, the brother goes on to be a serial killer in his own right. Uh, child uh, protective services get involved. She is manipulated and abused by many others. It's a hard watch, but it's also like really well done. And it's about kind of like, finding your own fucked up version of family. Hmm. I can't recommend it to everybody. Um, It is definitely not a good time at the movies, but if you want something a bit more extreme, if you want something that is going to just shock and disturb you, Megalomaniac is going to fit that bill. So it it was a last minute addition uh, and it made it uh, onto my list. So yay. Proceed with caution. Everybody just looks, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like everybody it. just looks horrified, right? Well, now. but like, I'm glad that you bring up a movie like this because one of the things that worries me lately about horror uh, or the horror community is this idea that oh, you can't go there. Right. You know that there's a lot of. I feel like there's been in recent years like this pearl clutching going on. It's like you know. But I just say horror is transgressive. Horror is supposed to push the boundaries because if horror doesn't do it, what will, you know, you know, and um, so I'm, I'm all for it. You know, whether I see it or not is a different story, but you know, I'm glad something like this is out there, you know, there's a difference between like punching down and in, punching at like marginalized persons and communities and pushing boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to do a better job of establishing what those delineations are. Sure. Because I feel, I feel like you're exactly right that there's like, seems like there's a whole generations of persons that want all of their art to be safe and sanitized, not just for themselves, but for everybody else as well. And it's very odd seeing that number one coming from, people that are young versus old mm-hmm. and number two coming from persons that identify with like the left rather than the right. That is a very scary thing. Um, as someone who grew up like with the PMRC mm-hmm. and looking at like old conservatives trying to condemn art. Now we're seeing like young leftists condemn art for being too extreme. So I think you're spot on. Yeah, I mean, I think the argument is always, is this being extreme for extreme sake? Right. Or is it being extreme to say something? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I understand that when something is extreme just to be extreme, I think it just becomes really kind of pointless and a little bit grating. Mm -hmm. Oh, I get that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I, yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a lot of room for things to be transgressive and to go to places that make folks uncomfortable right but i think there's a difference with that where before someone would say like this is extreme for extreme sake it's not for me and i don't want to watch it i think there's not everybody but there's a growing contingent of persons that are saying this is extreme for extreme sake no one should watch it and it shouldn't exist and i think that's where it becomes dangerous yeah it's really easy to throw things out on the internet and say things you know so it's true. just like I, yeah i take it all with a grain of salt it's like just, that is true ugh, you know 
yeah. posturing sometimes yeah. where it's like, do you really actually, are you just trying to say this because it makes you feel better, but like mm -hmm. you don't actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Our number eight. Let's go to number eight. Uh, my number eight is Evil Dead Rise, and we're going to hold off on chatting about that for a bit. Brian, your number eight. My number eight is Eli Ross Thanksgiving. All right, we'll hold off for a little bit. Rachel, your number eight. My number eight is also Eli Roth Thanksgiving. Okay, I'm going to continue to hold off. Nicole, your number eight. My number eight is a Swedish horror film called The Conference. I have not heard of this. Me so neither. Nicole can I think I just heard discuss. of this today for the first time. Before... Meant, uh, I'm just scrolling through Twitter. I saw, I saw this title. Yeah, the poster is amazing. Can you discuss this one, Nicole? Yes, it is seasonally appropriate, um, and it is workplace horror. I don't want to give too much away, just because I think that this is a film that a lot of people may discover as more people watch it and talk about it. Um, I know that there are a couple of folks um, that I've seen uh, kind of perk up on it a little bit on Twitter, but um, it's about uh, these employees that take a retreat this time of year in Sweden, and a bloodbath kind of ensues. Um, and as someone who really, I think, loves kind of the, the psychological components of workplace war, because you have a little bit of everything. You have people that are ganging up on that one employee that you know, no one really likes and they feel kind of uh, shies away from their responsibilities. You have people that are kind of the uh, the airing of grievances where it's like, well, I'm just going to kill you, but I'm really upset because you didn't file your paperwork on time. Um, so I really like just getting into that mentality. Um, again, I also really like uh, the fact that it, you know, it came out at a seasonally appropriate time. Um, so if you want something cold and chilly and snowy to watch, um, this is is also really good. But especially if you like films like The Belko Experiment, etc., I think that you'll kind of pick up on, on this one as well. Excellent. So it's workplace horror, mm -hmm. and everybody wants to kill like one particular employee, or they just decide to kill each other? Well, it's... You know, it kind of starts off with let's, you know, there's kind of one outcast. And then mm -hmm. I think the the mentality kind of shifts as more people kind of show their true colors. It's very okay. interesting. And it takes place, it's it's wilderness. It's like a wilderness retreat mm. for, for that. So it's a little bit different. It's not just, you know, let's sit in a, in a conference room um, type of thing as well. So... I, I like it. And also Sweden, um, stunning, beautiful. Uh, so. And it's on Netflix, it looks like. It is. So huh. All right. accessible. All I've right. got my movie for tonight, then. I have my movie tonight Sounds to get like to. Good. I am a couple away from 400 for the year, so this is going to edge me that much closer. Oh, wow. There was a movie that came out in France that played some festivals called Vincent Must Die, and it sounds like there's some similarities where, like, someone at work would see him and then try to kill him for no reason, and then they would have to go to HR about it oh. and just, like, have a discussion with HR. It was, like, started as, like, a black comedy and then got really dark, so... 
All right. Uh, number seven. Nicole, what is your number seven? I picked for number seven, When Evil Lurks, which I okay. know we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. And Rachel, your number seven? My number seven is Evil Dead Rise. And I think we can talk about it now. So, Rachel, why did this make your list? I I had a lot of fun with this. Like, I, it, I liked the way it looked. I liked the setting. I liked... I like the performances. I appreciated, you know, the Easter eggs and the call. Like, it wasn't too overdone, I think. And I just appreciated a new story. Like, I like where this franchise is going and how it's not reliant on Ash. But, you know, there's some Ash representation in there if you dig deep. And I mm-hmm. I just think that's just so cool. I really liked the last one as well. I liked the 2013 one a little bit better. Um, but... I was just excited to see this franchise just do something new and to continue that pathway and not feel like it was tied to the original series um, or the original trilogy, I guess, in the TV series. Like a lot of other franchises seem to have a hard time doing something new. And so that's what I liked about it. And the sound design in this movie I thought was incredible. So I was a big fan. And uh, Brian, I believe you also had this in your top 10. Uh, yeah, I, I, that was uh, a little down the list. But yeah, um, this was I love. I mean, it just starts with that great cold open and that title sequence where it is just kind of overwhelming. Uh, I love that they sort of reintroduce some humor back mm-hmm. into it a little bit. Um, I mean, it's a darker humor than in the old ones. You know, then like Evil Dead 2, which is a little bit more, you know, <laughs> I guess, splat stick yeah. style. This is this is just a really, really uh, dark humor um, that underlies it. It's kind of a mean, nasty movie, but in a way that is still fun to watch. Um, and so uh, I, I had a good time with it. And, you know, I will never look at a cheese grater the same way again. I yeah. think they could have done more. They could have done more. They could have, but you know, I, I was, it was built up in my yeah. mind so much more than it actually ended yeah. up being. But, uh, but it was, uh, it was still. I was like, ow, you know. Yes. I ow. thought the wine glass um, was more extreme than the cheese. Oh yeah, I thought that was like. Well, for me, for me, the tattoo gun towards the mm-hmm. eye was. Oh yeah, was. I mean that. I, that yeah, I, I had to look away. No. But um, there's, uh, and you know, I love. There's sort of a something later in the film I don't want to give away that sort of reminded me of like society, yes. mm-hmm. you know, sort of a shunting yes. scene, you know, and I thought this is we're going places I haven't seen before. I love that it's in a different setting than a cabin in the woods. Um, and boy, it just it just worked for me in a lot of yeah. ways. I love this. I thought this was pretty high in my list for most of the year. And then like a lot of things came out towards the end to just bump this down a little bit. I thought Alyssa Sutherland was a real find here. She was brilliant in this and she's enjoying like every minute of being on screen and being like the queen deadite. And there is just something about being like a really mean mummy uh, mm-hmm. in a movie, mm-hmm. whether you are uh, Joan Crawford in a movie, whether you're Faye Dunaway in a movie, 
there's just something about being like absolutely horrid to your children that is amazing. And Alyssa Sutherland kind of <laughs> captures it here. And we talked about like movies being transgressive a moment ago. Like this is one that it crosses that to taboo line where you have like three children at the outset of this movie. And by the end of this movie, you do not have three children anymore. Um, two of them are dispatched with in pretty horrid ways. Like in, that's something that, that happened a lot in 2023. Like kids weren't safe in movies. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, you know, appreciate that. Not, you know, for any sick reason, but it's just like, no, anything can happen. I yeah. think I put this just slightly ahead of the remake. And I think I do that only because I appreciate that they move the setting. I think they get the most that they can out of like, this really tight confined space of this apartment and this apartment building they do a lot with it i really enjoy that and i love like you said rachel the audio mix here is brilliant and you do get just that hint of ash on the vinyl soundtrack mm -hmm. and the idea of him maybe time traveling a bit is great uh it's pretty wonderful so i think what's great about this is you can do more of these movies and not have them confined to a simple cabin in the woods uh yeah. nicole anything you want to add no i i think that the cold open is such a wonderful almost like bait and switch because you think that oh a cabin in the mm -hmm. woods <laughs> teenagers yeah. young adults and then all of a sudden we are transported to kind of a you know a apartment building in shambles in the city um with a family and i really liked that change up um i i think it just like you said it opens up a door for lots of uh these stories to be told in, in various settings so yeah. i thought that was a very kind of cool way to kind of slap the viewer a bit and be like no 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 this is not what you expect be aware where would you like to see the Evil Dead series go next? If it went anywhere, where would you like to see? Because they obviously this movie's pretty successful. They've talked openly about wanting to make more of them and not wait ten years in between movies mm -hmm. again. Where would you like to see like the next setting be? I think it'd be cool. Like diff you could even do different time periods with this. You mm -hmm. know, kind of like what Prey did. Just because it's like, well, this book is free. Well, we've seen different time periods, right, in this franchise already. So it's like there is there is a precedent for that. Um, so that could could be kind of fun. And yeah, just I don't know, just different settings. Yeah. All the time, just expand the mythos and the reach of this this book and, and mm -hmm. the story behind that. It could go anywhere. I think. Space. Space. space yes the ocean you know like a leviathan situation like where they've got like the station on the bottom <laughs> peter, peter well could be in it. it someone smuggles the book onto yeah. a submarine give it mm -hmm. set it in a daycare i would love to see daycare gosh that would be amazing <laughs> You're telling me that you would not love to see like three-year-old deadites absolutely tearing it up and like having a handful of like underpaid like daycare workers having to fend them off and like yeah, using it's like, what is that movie Cooties? Yeah, Cooties. All the kids yeah, but you could go, but you would have like the budget to do Much it younger. like really right, like a real big budget, and you're using like oversized teddy bears to fend off like crazed deadite 
three-year-old toddlers. Oh, boy. Or even go one more level. Just set it in a maternity ward. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I think people should take our pitches right now, Hollywood. Sam Raimi, if you're listening, call us. All right, Brian, what was your number seven? Uh, My number seven is Cobweb. And I think we can talk about it. Yeah, you bet. Um, So this was a movie that is set at Halloween, but for some reason it was released in like June Mm -hmm. or something like that. And so it got, oh, I remember why it was released on Barbenheimer weekend. Mm, Same day. So, yeah, yeah, so it got, uh, it got lost in the shuffle, but um, I thought this was a great Halloween vibe movie. It has a sort of the sensibility of some like uh, people under the stairs and things like that, uh, that I really dug. Um, and I was genuinely surprised by where it ended up going in the end. Uh, it sort of sets itself up to be something, but kind of does something else with it. Um, the third act is just fire. I, that, last sequence that actually takes place on Halloween is um, one of my favorite things I saw this mm-hmm. year. I'm so happy this was on somebody else's list because like, I feel yeah. like this movie just got screwed over in a couple different ways and I, I, I mm-hmm. really enjoyed it as well. It does take a turn that is not going to work for everybody. Um, but yeah. I thought it was really fun. I loved the vibes. The performances, are you kidding me? Like Anthony Starr and Lizzie Cap Lizzie Kaplan, right? That's who the mm-hmm. the mom is. Mm-hmm. I thought they were so great and so creepy, and it was just so fun. I thought, and just yeah, a great Halloween movie. Um, that you know, just just the, the way it's told from the kind of the kid's perspective and looking at his parents and trying to figure out if are they are they bad, are they not bad? Like what's going on here? I mm-hmm. thought it was really effective yeah. and. I I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I did the triple feature on opening day of Barbie and Oppenheimer. I did Barbie, then Oppenheimer, then Cobweb. And I was the (laughs) only person in the theater for Cobweb, which was interesting. I actually wound up like walking around the theater as it was playing because I'd just been sitting for so long. Sitting for so long. (laughs) And you're right. Like it is beautifully captures like Halloween vibes. Like I have no idea why this came out in the middle of the summer. Cause it looks they, like they the perfect October. It. I think they yeah. just, it's a tax write off. Like yeah. David Zasloff would just burn all the negatives of this movie. Like if it was a Warner brothers release, we never would see it. Lizzie Kaplan just goes for it here as like the deranged mom here, like the spooked mom. Like she is so wonderful here i really love it and you have like woody norman is like peter like he's awesome and he is in a couple great gives a couple great performances in horror movies this year he's also in like last voyage of the uh, demeter as well and he like spoiler alert like murders his parents in this movie it's amazing again just something you and he's the hero of the story Mm -hmm. um I feel like the third act 
the, it feels like the third act has a lot of studio notes yeah. and it feels like someone watched it and said, like watched malignant and said, can you do a little bit of this, please? They watched, yeah, they sure. watched it in malignant yeah. and, were mm-hmm. like, and said, do some of this, but yeah. I'm okay with it because like it yeah. goes through a wild ride. And again, yeah. you get like more kids that are, Oh, and fucking Peter also like, you don't see it, but you hear it. Like, Peter, like when he finally stands up to his bully, like cripples the kid, like absolutely throws him like down a flight of steps. Like it's Bret Hart throwing. It's like the Undertaker throwing mankind off the top of the hell on the cell cage, basically. Like that's what Peter does to (laughs) the kid. So good for a cobweb. It's a great flick. Uh, Nicole, did you catch cobweb this year? I did. I, I really liked it. And, you know, the same of uh, same thing that you guys have mentioned. It really does capture a Halloween vibe. I definitely think that. Um, you know, I can say this now, and who's to say next year? I do think that this is going to be a film that is just going to grow and grow each Halloween season with people looking for that Halloween feel movie and discovering this one, and it, I think, really becoming a lot of people's kind of seasonal go-to so i i really liked it and yeah i mean to what you were talking about earlier mike about you know there's seeming to be lots of kids in peril um even though we have kind of this young badass um you still are kind of like where is this gonna go like what are the parents really capable of it's not i think it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like, ah, I don't, I, I don't know about this kid's safety and what's going to happen. It's so, like Ralph Wiggum saying, I'm in danger. Like, that's just. <laughs> yeah. And just the whole, you know, I, I always like a film that has a real kind of messed up family mm-hmm. kind of yeah. system behind it, too. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, as I thought about it later, is like I don't know that this makes a hundred percent sense, mm-hmm. but you know, logic kind of goes out the window at one point in the movie. But it's like, okay, whatever. I just went with yeah. it and had a good time. It was so. a very good time. I mean, especially after watching Oppenheimer, which is, <laughs> you know, like we could blow up the world at any time. Like, all right, this is a little bit more lighthearted and fun. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So my number seven was Saw X, which we can now talk about. Um, I'll just say that it's kind of hard to believe that we're at the point where the Saw movies are offering me some nostalgia. Yet here we are, you know, longing for the good old days of the early 2000s when things seemed simpler. Um, This one's like oddly moving. Like it's actually like got like some emotional heft to it. And it's also wickedly funny and it's self-aware in a way that a lot of the other Saw movies aren't. I like that like Kramer gets a real foil to play against this time. Like Mm -hmm. there's someone who's just as bad as he is. I think an issue with some of the Saw movies is like he's going against some real hapless people like Eric Matthews. Detective Matthews is not the intellectual foil for a cocker spaniel let alone john kramer um and it doesn't skimp on things that 
fans come to Saw films for. Like, I love Spiral. I, I had it pretty high in my rankings. But this movie does what Saw fans wanted to do. And Rachel and Nicole, you both have Saw X in your top 10. Like, what do y'all love about Saw 10? I mean, I thought it had some great traps. I... Well, when you say that... Yeah. It's a trap! <laughs> I did it to myself. <laughs> I trapped myself. Love Admiral Akbar. You know, like I am with like some really actually unsettling things. I think it's interesting where it fits into the entire franchise. You know, a sequel, prequel, like what? It, like what? I, this is the tenth Saw film. Like that is insane. Um, <laughs> Tobin Bell is. This is. I think this is like one of the movies where we see him the most. Mm-hmm. And we get most of his story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's a few others where he's pretty heavy, but maybe screen time wise, like this is the one that has him the most in it, which is pretty crazy. And, you know, I'm not always a fan of when they kind of take the villain and try to get you to like sympathize or empathize with him. But Saw has always done that really well. There's always been a really blurry line in this franchise of his motivations and stuff. And I thought that they handled that pretty well. And, yeah, I just I liked the setting too, like taking it to Mexico. I thought was really interesting. Um, I love that we still get Billy somehow. <laughs> like I don't know how he got just, there, but he's there. I wonder if there's a cut scene when he calls Amanda. He's like, "Here's what I need you to bring. Like, you pack that doll. I know. Like, do not come unless you pack. Like that's insane. But I don't yeah. care. And I think that's just I." we're at the point in this franchise where it's just you go along for the ride but Mm -hmm. you can tell that the people that made this film have a lot of passion and they know what they're doing and they know what the fans want but they're not pandering to the fans i still felt like Mm -hmm. it was a solid film that takes you know i don't know expands the world even even more and Mm-hmm. gets it out it felt less grimy too in a lot of yeah. ways and that was nice it was like all right we get some daytime some color okay i appreciate that you finally get, like saw city looks nice there's nice coffee shops like that scone looks really good yeah exactly there's parks, mm-hmm. you know yeah i really really was surprised by saw x because to be honest as much as i love the franchise dearly I was really perplexed by what they were going to do and how they were going to tell a story that had both um, John and Amanda kind of in a front and center way, especially, you know, so long into the franchise. How, like, what level of suspension of disbelief would we have to kind of adapt? And I thought that they told such an interesting story. It allows us to kind of really understand a different kind of uh, facet of John as well um, it is really funny there's some really stellar lines especially when or and not even lines like when John is just sketching out in the park traps yeah. it's one of I think the funniest moments for me of the year because I'm like it's a trap <laughs> exactly um, but I really um, I don't know like I I like that they found a way to kind of sew together, I think, some different timelines as well. Because um, that's always, I think, a criticism, especially when you get into later bits of the franchise with different things not necessarily adding up and connecting the way that you think they should. 
uh, characters doing things that just make no sense. And I think we have a pretty clean cut story here. Um, yeah, in the <sighs> the traps are really brutal, but I think even though like it's we ha also I think have a really interesting emotional relationship to these villains because on one hand we understand like you've done a really awful shitty thing you're exploiting these people and you're causing so much harm and pain to these people yeah not to mention like the lives that may be lost because they're not undergoing the treatment that they think that they're they're supposedly getting um but then you also understand the positions that our main villain has really kind of orchestrated and how she's kind of put them as pawns in the game. And I, I just really, I really like that. Um, and, and to your point, you know, having John really have someone that he can tango with um, is so fascinating, especially towards the end, um, kind of up in the control room. And, you know, we finally get everything kind of spelled out and we understand oh. the situation i think it's it's really really well done and has me yep. uh cautiously optimistic for for the next entry well sar 11 coming to theaters this fall so crazy just yeah. yeah you know it's back when they're just churning them out like one year after the next so and I should mention this was my number eleven, oh, so nice. just Excellent. outside the top ten. So Excellent. I like this movie a lot. I had a good time and was genuinely surprised by, it, especially as sort of a not a huge fan of the franchise. I like it, but I don't. It's not one of my favorites, but mm -hmm. I did like this one a lot. This was actually one of my favorites of the mm -hmm. whole franchise. Excellent. Well, Brian, what was your number six? Uh, what was my number six? My number six is The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Well, let's talk about that movie. Yeah. Okay, so um, now there were a couple of Dracula movies this year, as we mentioned, uh, Renfield, which I liked about half of. I, I, I love the uh, Nick Cage, Nicholas Holt stuff. The Aquafina stuff, uh, detective, police stuff didn't work so well for me. This one... Um, Again, I didn't love the bookends. I didn't love the beginning and the end, but I love sort of the core of the film and just that all the stuff on the boat. I think Dracula was scary for the first time in a long time um, and really cool design. Um, maybe a little bit like, uh, you know, the crawler things in the descent with wings. But, you know, hey, that's a pretty cool design. And I was... Um, I was impressed by it overall. I found it to be, you know, kind of put that, uh, it was a, it was a, for me, it was the best Dracula film in a long time. Um, uh, the last one I remember that I can think of that is really a terrific Dracula movie is probably Coppola's version, you know, 30 years ago. So this was, I think the best probably since then. Um, I mean, granted, you know, some of those in, be, in the meantime have been like, you know, Dracula 2000, which, you know, was, <laughs> is what it is. But, you know, this, I think, was was really well done and um, had sort of the, you know, alien set in, you know, the 19th century kind of vibe to it. But, hey, it worked for me. And I yeah. I thought it was really fun, effective, um, 
throwback to classic, you know, monster movie kind of thing. And, yeah. and I like that about it. Yeah, I enjoyed this as well. I saw this in theaters. I thought, it, it like you said, aliens sit on a boat. Um, I could probably get it done without like the last couple minutes. I think it sets. It yeah, tries exactly. To I'm, mm-hmm. Set up for a sequel that you know we're not going to yeah. get. I think we are totally fine getting a self-contained story here, and I think yeah. they do a really good job bringing to life this small section of the Dracula mythos. It's cast amazing. I mean, Leon Cunningham, David Desmelchian. You just get great performances across the board again like little Corey hawkins like little the little kiddo from uh cobweb just like bringing the thunder um mm-hmm. does like a phenomenal actually no that's the wrong dude Corey hawkins is the lead here why do i have the kids name wrong let me get that correct because that is not fair to either of them little woody norman i am sorry about that like doing double duty this summer he's great in here as well and another movie where kids are in danger and like you know you think that he'll be protected atmosphere for miles i think that's something that like andre overdahl has done really well whether it's scary stories whether it's troll hunter uh his movies always look gorgeous and drip atmosphere yeah, this is an honorable mention for me too. Like, I I really enjoyed this. I love you know the the setting and the period and just yeah, horror on a boat. It's great. Give me both you know horror on boats, horror on trains. Like, I'm always a sucker for that. And I think it was cool to see this part of the story that we all usually only see for like you know a minute in a bigger mm-hmm. Dracula film. So yeah, I, I I had a lot of fun with this. I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I I like this one a lot, and I think uh, it's a good kind of change of pace. Uh, I think there's there's obviously a lot of Dracula stories that also kind of veer away from kind of the general Dracula mythos and delve more into, I think, some different elements um, of Dracula. So I like seeing a little bit of the root story here um, at its heart and it being more of that kind of monster creature um, type approach too. It's just something really different that I don't think you see a ton of um, as much and especially great like if you're looking for something unique to show friends, like if you're having a movie night, um, I think this is something that's really going to like scratch a lot of uh, folks' core needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. Nicole, what was your number six? My number six was sick mm, want to talk about that one yeah uh i really really liked uh this one quite a bit and i know that we talked about it on the patreon at the very uh beginning of the year um so yeah i so i was a little nervous about what a pandemic uh real and pandemic-infused horror film could be, what kind of story, what kind of uh, take it would have. And I had a lot of fun with it. It's, you know, a contained space, um, kind of a home invasion uh, spin as well. I really like the performances. I like what it says about um, kind of culpability um, Mm. as well. I think there's some really interesting uh, things uh, there uh 
And again, I really like kind of a messed up family um, at its center. And I think that you have that with these parents that are on the hunt for kind of the the source of their son's uh, sickness and death. And it's just kind of a wild thing to watch slowly unravel. And Rachel, I know you like this one quite a bit as well, right? Yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. And like, just like Nicole was saying, it was like, oh, like, I'm not sure about if I'm ready to see this like COVID movie or how it was going to be handled. But I thought it was really like, it had a sense of humor about it too. Like, yes, that was a part of the film, but it was also, it had some, some dark humor into it that I appreciated. And the action sequences I thought were great. I thought the tension was great. I liked the performances. So I think it's a fun, I think it's a fun slasher. And I think it'll, I think it'll gain in popularity as, you know, people get less sensitive about mm-hmm. COVID, you know, as we get time heals all right. And I think that it'll gain in popularity after that because of it. Yeah. But I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah. This is one I haven't caught up with yet, uh, but I've heard some good things, not just from you, but from other yeah. podcasts and things around. So uh, it's one that I, it's on my radar that I want to be sure to catch up with. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, Kevin Williamson obviously can write a fun slasher movie. Mm-hmm. John Hyams, mostly known for doing like fun direct video action movies like Universal, so- the Universal Soldier sequels. Um he did that kind of isolation horror movie alone, which is a hmm. paranoid thriller, like one, like a woman on the run, great. which yeah. is really yeah, good. good. So mm-hmm. in this, I think follows in its footsteps. And again, we kind of talked about like being able to empathize with the killers in a movie. When you learn the motivation of the killers in sick, you're kind of like, Oh, you're, you are, killing these people because they were like being irresponsible during the early days of COVID. You know what? I get it. I kind of don't necessarily <laughs> disagree. Cause I remember like, look, was I, we think back to 2020 and we remember our worst selves during those days. Like I'm sure some of us were like, how dare you like not wear a mask in public? Good sir. Or madam. Um, you know, like we were not always our best selves and we would wish horrible things on people that would flout the rules. So like I found some sympathy for the killers here and it does make you play with your allegiances a little bit. Nicole, you're shaking your head there a bit. <laughs> no, I had, I felt no sympathy, um, no allegiance to the villains. Um, no? No, I mean, as someone that was immuno, that is incredibly immunocompromised, um, no, uh, I, but I think there's also, but I think that there's kind of a bridge with our main character who, you know, we see her being lax with certain rules, but she's not doing it out of malice. She's not like, those are the kind of people that, you know, it's that I would have lots and lots of grace with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about uh, a level of understanding and saying, like, this is what's important to me. And, you know, if we may agree to disagree, and that's just where where we stand and we have to kind of figure it out. But, yeah, I 
I I think that yeah, you do find some sympathy with kind of the overall story of what the parents are going through. But at the same time it's like murder begets murder. It's a much different um, movie though if they're very sympathetic towards one another. Right. I do like the sequence though in the car where she gives her the mask and yes. you just know that there's just something really, I think, kind of deliciously devious mm-hmm. about like something that's <laughs> supposed to be protective being handed off and being like the demise and the downfall for yeah. a character too. Yep. Uh let's see here. Rachel, what yeah. was your number six? So, so my number six was Megan. Let's talk about it. Yeah, which is like wild because it seems like so long ago that it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that was like January of this year. Like that feels like came out eight years ago. Uh, but this year. And I was just really surprised because I thought it was going to be, I don't know, a little cringy just because of how it was marketed or, you know, felt like it was trying to pander to a TikTok crowd, which it, absolutely wasn't is but it was so much smarter than that i i had a lot of fun with it i liked the doll design the music the sense of humor the performances i also liked how yeah like grief and all of that is part of the story but it didn't rely on that it's also Mm -hmm. a great like Mm -hmm. fresh modern kind of monster movie and megan is mean (laughs) you know there's some real like brutal scenes in there so i it just was pulled off way better than i expected i think um and yeah we're gonna get megan sequels i mean it was a a moment right megan was the moment and i was thoroughly impressed that they were able to pull this film off as well as they did it feels like megan ushered in like the year saying horror is going to be fun this year yeah that we are and there were a few movies this year that continued the trend of like everything is trauma Uh and like we're just gonna like we're gonna make trauma horror continue to be a thing where we're just gonna keep exploiting the worst moments of a person's life uh for profit but Megan announced, like, this year we're not going to be afraid to be a little bit silly at times. So we got right. movies like Cocaine Bear and Meg 2 and uh, Spoonful of Sugar and Influencer movies uh, and Cobweb movies where you could have a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, that were still, like, really, really good. And I know that you mentioned this on your other show on Halloweenies, like, Megan felt like what the Child's Play reboot could have been. Like, it's the best version of that movie and i would agree to a certain extent with that i think that would uh there's a lot to be said there um it feels like this movie's a little bit early like it'd be interesting to see where the next couple because if if the megan 2 is successful you know jason blum has like 30 of these lined up like he will run which can you blame him like i mean you know god love him he's gonna just churn these out until they stop making money because that's what studios do um with the how ai just continues to be how it continues to kind of seep into the culture and how it kind of seeps into everyday use where Megan is going to go is going to be fascinating in the next few years. Agree. Mm-hmm. Plus I want to see what the next dance move is going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that'll be in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, this movie is so much better than just sort of the memes that came of it, you know? Um, for me, this is sort of like the good version of Deadly Friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Too. You know, uh, there's some of that kind of thing going on in this. And um, yeah, and you know what a Wes Craven fan I am for me to say that. This, <laughs> But not all of them are great. Anyway, um, so I just had a blast with this. So much fun. Um, and I, it's hard for me to resist a movie that is takes place it was definitely not shot in seattle but it takes place there Mm -hmm. um so you know i just can't Mm -hmm. hate a movie that does that no yep i understand (laughs) someone from boston and loves massachusetts set movies i can feel that yeah Yeah. about yourself nicole yeah it's just so much fun uh this is a horror film that i was able to see with a lot of friends that are very much like we don't like horror. We don't want to. We want nothing to do with it. It's not our thing. Um, they all love this and has so much fun and really enjoyed. I think some of the over the top elements of it. But I think there's also I think one of the things that makes it um, something that's you know a, a little bit more. Um, I guess this is something that sticks with you a little bit longer because again, this came out at the very beginning of the year. Um, and the fact that people are still you know, talking about it, putting it on list, mm-hmm. is because I think that there's a real heart to it as well. There's there's a lot of fun, but there's some heart to it too. And I really like Allison Williams in it. Oh, totally. She's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I I think that this is you know again another film that as we continue to grapple with tech especially tech for kids and how kids are using it. Um, I think it will be interesting to see where, where this takes us. Yeah. I mean, between the perfection get out and Megan, Allison Williams is kind of carving out really a really interesting niche in genre films like she's not doing anything that's like super straight ahead and straightforward like she's taking these really great roles and she's been terrific in all of them but they're all like interesting movies they just happen to be like very good kind of off-kilter little horror movies that are fun and interesting to talk about well and she's not playing i think the same character yeah there may be some like resonance i'm thinking especially some pieces of like get out and the perfection um with you kind of wondering like where is this character going what is Mm -hmm. their end game um as things kind of develop but i really like that she's just taking lots of just different stuff and so i you know seeing her attached to a film is is kind of cool and and i like i'm excited to see more yeah. All right. My number six was Talk to Me, but we're going to hold off for now. And Nicole, what is your number five? We've hit, we've crossing over the midway point now. So, Nicole, your number five. My number five, I think, is your, you won't admit it, but it is your favorite film of the year, Mike. And that is the number eight. Uh, it is not at the bottom, but it is it is in that mid-level. But we'll hold off on talking about that for now. Uh, Rachel, you're number five. 
My number five was Infinity Pool. Okay, we'll hold off for a little bit. Brian, your number five. Okay, my number five is probably going to make most people laugh. Um, I had zero expectations going into it, but I had so much fun. This is with, like the longest intro. Like you're apologizing for this. I, 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 yeah. Own it, Brian. Po- Own it. Okay, I, I am owning it. Hey, my co-host put it higher on her list. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> I told you. This, okay. Now, um, this was the movie that I had no expectations for whatsoever. I went into it knowing that Russell Crowe was in it and it was about an exorcist and it ended up being incredibly entertaining to me. It was so much fun. Um, It's kind of a silly movie. I get it. But man, uh, first of all, Russell Crowe was having the time of his life. Mm -hmm. And I think um, just seeing him riding around on that Vespa was enough to make me a fan of this movie. But um, it, it's just a, a uh, it was a surprise to me because I kind of expected, oh, this is just another exorcism movie, which, uh, okay. But I think what I like is it delves into, um, there's like something deeper going on in this place it's not just you know someone is possessed there's um something with the um place where they're living um you have children being possessed which is you know hey children in danger cool great fine but that's actually not really like the central portion of the movie um i think uh one of the (laughs) I, i i also um love that uh, we have pope Django the first uh because um the pope is played uh by franco nero which is amazing um and uh yeah i i just had way too much fun with this movie and um i am i guess i'm just gonna leave it at that i know that i'm alone on this i know it's okay I am, we are allowed to like what i you like. had such a blast with it and i'm and for me I, I know there's another movie on my list that's a possession movie technically but it's a different kind of thing mm-hmm. to me this was like by far the best like exorcist movie mm-hmm. of the year because the other one it's was just Um, Anyway, um, (laughs) so this was exactly what I wanted in an Exorcist movie, and it was was the real deal for me and loved it. Had so much fun. I haven't seen it, so it's like, I mean, Russell Crowe in a Vespa is enough to like, all right, I'll give it a chance, but I I haven't seen it, so I can't judge you. Can't judge you. Yeah. I I've watched this. I it was like a Netflix watch for us, and it's fun. I mean, it's a way to pass a couple hours on the couch. Uh, Russell Crowe is definitely having the time of his life with this. Like, and there's no bones about that whatsoever. It does look good. I mean, like there is mm-hmm. like some of the set design is really nice. Um, they've talked about wanting to make like 99 sequels like let's do one for every case in this uh actual exorcist <laughs> files which there are like 99 of them and oh god damn i think i would watch 
a lot of those movies because I would you could just watch, get you know, really silly with five it. or six of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> there, uh, there is room for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I bet Russell Crowe would do at least one more of them. Oh, he. I mean, if, are you kidding me? He could yeah. cash. He could. He could milk this cow for the rest of his life if he, he could wanted to. Cash that check in a little vacation <laughs> in Italy. I mean, are yeah. you? Who's he's hit that stage in his career where he can do that, and he has like nothing to apologize for as far as I'm yeah. concerned. So, yeah. My number five, uh, and this was the I'm the only one that had this on here as well. Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. I really enjoyed this movie and i think part of it was definitely the circumstances like getting to intro the world premiere of it and doing the q a and seeing it in a packed theater like this is the perfect movie for like a a a packed house audience like everybody like jumping up and down during all the jump scary bits like again i'm sitting next to ariel during this like when there's a jump scare like she puts her whole body into it and like is like sitting next to kermit the frog where she would like flail her arms around and leap out of her seat like there's no better way to experience a movie with a lot of jump scares but like after part two and three were kind of disappointing for a hell house this is the best one since the original. It goes back to what made the first movie work. It tells a really compelling story. It's a really good mystery. It has, I think, the best set of characters that you follow around, not just with like the crime bloggers, like your true crime like vloggers, but also like the Carmichael kids themselves, like those three kids, the brother and the two sisters. Like you enjoy kind of following them around, even knowing what's going to happen to them. And you just get a lot of those clowns. Like, okay, you think that one clown that moves around is scary? I'm going to give you three of them. And they're fucking horrifying, and they're terrifying. And I will never not be afraid of them. I think that Cognetti does a really good job incorporating technology in those movies, like making text messages scary takes a special talent and they're able to do that here. Uh, removing it from the actual hotel and using what felt like the changeling house at times, I mm-hmm. think works really well. And there were definite nods of the changeling with like that red ball that kept appearing out of nowhere. Mm. This movie is scary as fuck. Uh, and I would say that this is going to be on the short list of movies that I watch every spooky season come mid-September, October. This and the original Hell House. Uh, I really love this movie a lot. What was everyone else's thoughts on this one? I really like I haven't seen it oh. yet. I, I liked it too. I definitely think this is a rebound from two mm-hmm. and three. Uh, so went into it with kind of low expectations, but yeah, I was on that, that episode with you and I was super impressed. Um, this is, yeah, an honorable mention for me. I had a lot of fun with it. It's not perfect by any means, but pretty, pretty solid. And it's like, all right, I'm back in, back in on the hell house train. Yeah, this was a definite, um, kind of honorable mention. I really think it's ambitious and sometimes a kiss of death to have a film that's really, trying to merge different timelines and different stories because there's always going to be something that just comes out sacrificed and um, not as well, I think, 
kind of integrated and part of the story, but I thought that Cognitive did such a wonderful job really sewing together kind of the story that he wanted to tell with these three different kind of components. Um, and yeah, the two and three, I think both of those films have some, some interesting moments, but it's kind of, for me, diminishing returns after the first and really loved seeing, um, what I think was just something that really got back to what made the first Hell House um, so strong was, you know, these starting off with, you know, just getting these really small glimpses of things, really living in a space where things are moving and shifting and not really knowing, um, you know, where the source was and what was coming next. So I really liked it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that this will be one to revisit every year. Mm-hmm. All right, our top four. Nicole, what's your number four? So my number four was Kusera, the Bone Woman. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so this was one that I saw just some people talking about when it hit Shudder and was really excited to check it out because I really like kind of explorations of, like, culture and, um, you know, having... I think pieces that go down that path and um, it's not necessarily gory or lots of like jump scares in that way. I think it's much more of kind of a quiet rumination about like a conflict of being yourself, being honest to yourself and kind of the expectations that we put on ourselves and the ones that we accept from others be it family community um and i just think there's a really beautiful story also about like you know being a parent and fitting into kind of these these boxes that are expected of us and and trying to find comfort and the strength to really embrace who we are so i i like this i think there there is some really i think unsettling imagery as well especially when we get kind of these um visions of the woods um i don't know i think this is such an, an interesting kind of special film so it ranks very high for me yeah yeah i thought i i really enjoyed this one too this is another honorable mention it's very creepy but it ha it went some directions i didn't necessarily expect <laughs> and, not, and not in a bad way like i feel like it's very it feels very modern, but it's dealing with some very timeless ideas, right? And just exploring the idea of motherhood and what that the, all the different things that that can mean for different people, I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And some great performances and yeah, some very creepy imagery yeah. um, and very unsettling at moments, but it's really well done. Yeah. I enjoyed this. I thought it was a great exploration of like postpartum depression and also like another title that came out that like had similar themes this year uh, that's playing festivals is a South Korean film called Sleep hmm. that uh, I would check that out uh, when it plays uh, or when it gets a release. This one I think is a little bit darker than Sleep is. Um, 
it's another one too, like meddling in-laws, I would say it was a big theme here, like in not listening to mom when she is like suffering or helping her out in any way. So I thought this was pretty enjoyable. So definitely uh, an honorable mention for me as well. Rachel, you're number four. Not divisive at all. Everybody agrees on this. Um, this movie, it's unanimous. My number four pick is Skinnamarink. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. This movie, it was my favorite theatrical experience of the year because I was in a, a foreign city. Not foreign. I was in Oregon. But I was, you know, a city that I'm not familiar with. And just being in an audience, a little indie theater, seeing this and watching everybody's reactions was priceless because it's very unnerving. It taps into, like, some sort of weird recess of, like, fears. It's like you don't even know if they really exist till you're experiencing it. It's also, I was just so excited after this film and just like, all right, somebody's doing something new. And I was just so excited about the idea of this film and the filmmakers and to see it kind of like just burst on the scene in this really interesting way and get the success that nobody expected. So, but I also loved it. I did really like it because I had never seen anything like it. And you do have to, give yourself over to this film otherwise you're going to fall asleep but if you're if you're if you're game and you're willing to go along on the ride i think it's gonna be a lot of people's jam uh so yeah skin skin rank i'm sure you guys all loved it as well and nicole you also <laughs> had it pretty high in your ranking so yeah i mean to to what rachel is talking about it's an experience i think it's a, kind of like an immersive yeah. You really have to kind of lock yourself in, um, kind of pun intended, into <laughs> this home with the kids and experience kind of the creepy imagery. It feels very much like an inkblot test in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, too, where, you know, t you mentioned, Rachel, about it tapping into some recesses of theaters and things. And I think a lot of that just connects so much with, like, what we experience in terms of, of fears as kids, abandonment and being afraid to navigate the world um, in all the unknown corners and, and what what's lurking there um, and what harm can come there. Um, I, yeah, I, I really like it. Also, to what you were saying, like, it's nice to see something that I feel is very just kind of experimental in a lot of ways, really focused on imagery and tapping into this experience that they're really kind of demanding a viewer to have, I think is so, so interesting. And yeah, definitely not one that I, you know, I'm going to pop on for a movie night with friends because <laughs> no. I like my friends and I don't think that that's going to be a, a journey that they want to take because they're not my therapist yeah. <laughs> but i think that it's it's such an inventive and cool film and really excited to see what's next mm -hmm. uh for the filmmaker yeah this is a movie i'm really glad exists like it's not necessarily a movie for me yeah but and i thought it was good like for what i mean it achieves what kyle edward bell is trying to do and I'm really glad it exists, and I'm really glad it was successful. Like, I love that this got put in theaters, 
and made like a significant amount of money. Like that's a success story. And that's like a success story for horror and for genre films. Like that's a wonderful thing. Like even though this movie's like not necessarily for me, I want stories like that. And I'm glad that I experienced this movie in theaters because there are parts of it that work like extremely well. Like that scene in the bedroom where he feels like he's talking to his mother, I think is really terrifying. Uh, And there are a few other parts in the movie. I think uh, like the 911 phone call, I think works really, really well. Um, So there are parts of this movie that I think are fantastic and really well done. It's just, I think maybe a little bit too plotting. And I think I wasn't, prepared for necessarily what this experience was for me and liminal horror isn't necessarily my thing that being said just because it's not for me it doesn't mean there's not value in it and i think the person's coming out of it saying this was really scary for me and here's why like that's awesome like that is absolutely just like at the other end of the spectrum like for someone like brian to say like Pope's Exorcist, like it was great, gave me exactly what I wanted. I had a lot of fun. That's what's really wonderful about horror is like it is such a massive umbrella and underneath it, all of these wonderful stories can be told. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be one thing uh, and one size fits all. Like there is just thousands of stories and ways to tell a story. So I'm really, even though it's not necessarily for me, I'm glad that others are really connecting with it. I think for me with Skinnamarink, uh, it's a movie I appreciate more than I like, <laughs> I guess you could say. I, I don't know how else to say it. But it's, it's that no said, Pope's Exorcist. I, I get it's it. It's no Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I actually didn't know how to rank this movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's because I, it was like, my gut feeling is I don't know if I'll ever watch this again. But at the same time, there is no movie that got under my skin, mm. and no pun intended, the way Skinnamarink did. Uh, it really messed with me. I had, I don't have nightmares about movies, and I did with this one. And it, and I would wake up, and I would still see like that grainy fuzz in front of my face, and and yeah. it was strange. It was like two or three days where I was just. And that song, even though it's not in the movie, that song would get stuck in my head and it would just sort of, I don't know, this one really kind of fucked with me. And it, and I, I wrote a piece on it because it really got into some, you know, childhood fears that I had that I did not expect. Yeah. So um, in a way, it's like the most effective horror movie for me of the year. Mm-hmm. But in another, it was like, but I don't know that I will ever watch it again. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so, Brian, what is a movie that you not only appreciate and you like at number four? Uh, that would be um, a Finnish film called Sisu, which uh, I guess I suppose technically speaking is more of an action film mm-hmm. than a horror film. But um, the setup is... Uh, first of all, it's directed by, um, I'm not exactly sure how to say his name, Yalmari Hellander, who directed Rare Exports, A Christmas oh. Tale, which oh, I, I just love, love that movie. And But so this guy is out in, it's the end of World War II. He's out prospecting for gold in Finland. Uh, and uh, he finds a, a hall, okay? 
and some Nazis come along and they take his gold. So he spends the rest of the movie dispatching Nazis in more and more creative ways. Um, it is ultra-violent. It is gory. It's filled with attitude. Um, it has sort of feelings of, you know, like Sergio Leone Westerns. And um, you could see, um, you know, sort of inglorious bastards kind of attitude in it as well. Um, it's got sort of a Rambo-ish thing, I guess, you know, with the the one guy taking on a whole army. Um, and there, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. It's kind of a comedy, too. It's pretty funny. Um, but uh, there's a part where he figures out how to breathe underwater, which is just like the greatest thing I've seen <laughs> in a movie all year. Um, and there's a culmination that involves an airplane and a pickaxe that is just magnificent. And he pretty much says nothing the entire movie. It's excellent. It's, it's, I just had a great time. I, I knew nothing about this going in. Um, I didn't know it was directed by that director. I didn't know who was in it. I didn't even know it was uh, a Finnish film and I had no idea what I was getting into movie. I haven't heard of, went in, was able to see it in the theater. And I, I, I don't know. There were parts of this where I was ready to jump up and clap. It was just like, it's so much fun. It's got um, so much of a, of an attitude to it that I just had a blast with. This is, um, this is one I, I, I feel emboldened, I guess, to put it on my horror list because, um, Megan Navarro over at Bloody Disgusting, you know, included it on one of her lists at one point of the year. So I was like, okay, I'll, if she calls it a horror movie, I'll call it a horror movie. Fair and enough. There we go. <laughs> I have not seen this one, so I will definitely check this out. Yeah, me neither. The right. one thing that is a challenge about it is you can tell that it was made on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, ha- I just wish it had had a little bit more money uh, mm-hmm. for some of it, but um, just like, you know, a bigger army to fight, or, you know, some of these things. But um, if you can get past that, I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. Excellent. Well, my number four is Thanksgiving. And I just love that it's, we'll talk about it now, I guess. It is a Mm -hmm. no frills, simple as it can get. And I feel like there's been a lot of good slashers in the past year or two, but they all kind of include like a gimmick with Mm -hmm. them. Um, like they're almost kind of embarrassed to be just a slasher movie. And I feel with Thanksgiving that it's not afraid to be like a very straightforward old school slasher movie. This one has that kind of like glossy sheen of the nineties slashers, like what like scream. And I know what you did last summer and Valentine movies like that, but it has that kind of nasty edge of those early early 80 slashers that I love. And it does another thing that I love about 80 slashers is that you have this like inciting incident that happens. Like there's like an accident or like a violent act that occurs that shouldn't have occurred and it sets like your killer off. And here you get that in like a glorious sequence with like the Black Friday massacre here. Um I love that they took the tact of rather than making like an actual grindhouse movie, they took the tact of like, let's make this movie like the 
trailer we made in 07 as like a long lost movie that no longer exists and we're actually updating or rebooting it and that Roth is kind of like maybe matured as a filmmaker and maybe as a human and it's like we're not going to make this as like gross as we would have as an 07 and he kind of talks about it in some interviews everyone is looking away from the camera right now but it's really not like there's not like an it's not an exploitation movie in this and he's talked about in interviews like yeah i couldn't make the kind of movie i would have made in 07 like you can't make that in 2023 like it's not gonna fly it's it's a different time so i really enjoyed this was a lot of fun i loved it yeah i mean listen i i don't necessarily i'm not saying i'm no, giving no. him the Nobel peace prize right well that's I'm not what, saying yeah, like no, eli roth like, humanitarian of the year i don't necessarily like eli roth as a person i don't necessarily even like all of his films they're just not necessarily for me but i actually really had a lot of fun with this so just saying that if people aren't big on eli roth um for one reason or another i did think that this was pretty good i thought it was fun like you said it's just it is what it is and I appreciated for it for that. It looks great. I mean, a, a Thanksgiving film. That's great. I love a good holiday film. Um, so I, I agree. I had I had a lot of fun with this. As someone who lives minutes from Hanover and goes to the movies in Hanover and lots and shops in Hanover a lot, where they're like, Hanover sucks. Like, I was cackling. I'll admit <laughs> it. Like, I admit, it made me laugh. Uh, for for me, this was um, I love sort of yeah. It's set now, but it, there are certain elements of it that made me feel like oh, my bloody Valentine or mm-hmm. uh, Happy yeah. Birthday to me. You know, yeah. it had some of those kinds of of things going on that I really liked. And I have seen this is my second Eli Roth movie that I've actually liked. The other one was the house with the clock in its walls, which I mm-hmm. thought was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't like Hostel uh, one or two. I, I've never seen Cabin Fever. I haven't seen a it's lot, a of, lot those of movies fun. to be honest. Cabin I, Fever just, is fun. Okay, fair enough. But I just—it's just not my thing. But um, I really liked this, and um, much more than I expected. When they announced that they were making the full version of that, I was like, why? You know, I just, everyone was very excited and was like happy for them. But I was like, just leave it as the trailer and call it good. All right. Do something else. And then I saw it and went, oh, okay. All right. That's, that's cool. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I feel like we have to cover these movies like we did the Conjuring movies and they're like their own universe. And we're going to have to do death proof and planet terror and then all of like the machete movies thanksgiving we're gonna have to i hopefully they'll hobo make with like a shotgun yeah hobo i would love to talk about hobo with a shotgun because that movie is amazing uh i would love to see like werewolf women of the ss like give me that movie <laughs> are you kidding me i would love to watch a rob zombie werewolf women of the ss movie that would be so much fun yeah it'd, it'd be I... something it would be. <laughs> I think my, Thank you, Rachel. My only issue with, well, I had some issues with Thanksgiving. I have a lot more issues with Eli Roth. Um, sure. But I, the only, like, I, I did have a lot of fun with Thanksgiving. I thought, again, 
to what you were saying, Mike, I, it's nice just to have a slasher be a slasher and just kind of wash over you in that way um, and, and not have to play a lot of games uh, with it. Uh, and I think some of the performances are a lot of fun. Um, my only thing is that it didn't feel like a Thanksgiving film. Like, it felt more like a Black Friday like commentary piece as opposed to mm -hmm. actually saying anything about like the holiday. Yeah, holiday. yeah, I can see, I understand that. Thanksgiving. I think yeah, I can see that. And I think he's said like that's what he was going for. Yeah. Come and Black Friday itself doesn't feel like a thing anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that feels like a bygone thing at this point. Like we just kind of like shop online and it's a month long thing like i don't feel like an urge to rush out the door on a friday morning to like tramp on people to get five dollars off a dvd like i used to you know what i mean I, I hear what you're saying there i don't know i felt like it captured a lot of things about the holiday like the coming home from college and hanging out in the old hot spots the having to like go to work the next day when you don't want to like that type of deal. But I could, I guess Thanksgiving's a weird holiday because like, it's not like Christmas or Halloween where you have like decorations and songs. And it's really like the big thing about Thanksgiving is you eat Turkey and mashed potatoes. Like that is, that's what the holiday is. And no one really likes Turkey. Like I, you know what I mean? Like, we were having Christmas dinner and I made like a roast beef and I'm like, why are we having turkey on Thanksgiving? Like, why don't we just make roast beef next year? And my wife was like, well, I like turkey and now we're not together anymore. So she said, we like turkey. <laughs> so, no, I'm kidding. That part is not. So, just, you know, but I don't know. Like it's, it's a weird holiday because it's like sandwiched in between these two other holidays and there's no real... It's not like the Thanksgiving bunny is going to come down the chimney and leave you Thanksgiving eggs filled with chocolate and presents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just went on a tangent there that's not even related <laughs> to the movie whatsoever. Should we just move on to number three? Number three. Nicole, what's your number three? So my number three is a movie called Consecration. What is this movie? Talk this about it. So it came out at the beginning of the year. It has Jenna Malone. Um, I don't know that much background about it, so I can't really go off on talking about the director and their oeuvre and all of that. Um, but uh, Jenna Malone is in it, and she has an accent, and oftentimes I... <sighs> Accents can very easily just take me out of a movie completely and create kind of a wall, but she does so good. Her performance is amazing. She plays this woman. She's an, uh, an ophthalmologist of some sort, I think, um, in a practice, and she discovers that her uh, brother, who she's kind of estranged from, has died, and he was at this convent uh, in Scotland that is very, uh, I guess, kind of strict. And we go with her. She 
doesn't necessarily believe the line that she's been given that her brother died by suicide. What she's being told by those investigating this is that her brother um, had murdered uh, a fellow priest at the convent and then killed himself. Hmm. And she doesn't believe that. And the uh, religious uh, folks there at the convent are telling her that what he did was admirable because he was possessed by demons and he was fighting it and he had to die to rid himself and it just goes really dark and we start to mm. unravel pieces of her her past her brother's past um and it being very entrenched in kind of this religion we discover that this convent had tried to adopt her and her brother when they were quite young um so it it takes some twists and turns i don't think that all of the twists and in kind of the exploration necessarily of her background um hits as strongly as it could but i her performance is so great especially there's um just this really small moment where she has arrived in scotland um and is basically like identifying her brother's body um and she just has like this wail um and it's so good and she's she's really really great i i i have such a soft spot for for jenna malone I think okay it's phenomenal. directed by christopher smith yes. who did black death and triangle and severance which is a workplace comedy yeah. set in the woods and he hasn't done anything I've watched in a long time. So I, I think I started to watch this and don't know why I didn't return to it. So I'll definitely try to get to this by the end of the year because I liked his early stuff a lot. Yeah, this feels very much more like a kind of a religious sibling to okay. a lot of his other work. Um, but I, I really like it. And I am unabashed in my love for religious themed horror so i i really like this and um there's just really creepy creepy stuff and it goes some really really horrific places so okay excellent brian what was your number three um well first of all i i did see consecration oh in the my bad mm-hmm. no no problem um i uh and it's funny because Michelle mentioned it too, my co-host, um, and she really liked it as well. Um, I think I need to give it another go because it, it didn't, to be honest, it, it didn't really do a whole lot for me uh, when I saw it. I, I thought it was fine, um, but it didn't really do a lot. But hearing uh, you talk about it, I think it's, and and her too, it's it's one where I clearly need to give it another go. Um, and because, you know, and I remember elements of it. Um, and so I'll, I'll have to give consecration another try. Um, so my, uh, my number three is, uh, when evil lurks. And we'll hold off on talking about that. That is mm-hmm. also my number three. Rachel, what is your number three? My number three is Dark Harvest. Let's talk about Dark Harvest. I I love this movie and I know that 
for some reason that I don't understand, really. A lot of people haven't been digging it, but this was all, all, all just everything well, I like. it's the script. Yeah, it had, has great vibes, very Halloween-y. Um, you know, we've said a lot of times people are like, oh, it's like a mix between like Pumpkinhead and The Purge. And I think that's very accurate. I haven't read the book, uh, but it is based on the book David Slade. I'm a big fan of. I was a little worried about, because it was in development hell for a really long time, how it was going to look when it finally got made. But I think it looks great. Like, it's really beautiful. A lot of shots are really beautiful. It doesn't look cheap. I liked the performances, and I appreciated what it was kind of saying on a, on a broader scale about, you know, Vietnam and sending boys off to war and but in a subtle way that also kind of developed this mythology for this town it feels very homey and cozy in this little town um so everything about this film really worked for me I was really impressed I went into it with kind of low expectations uh knowing about the background of it a little bit but I had a lot of fun and I think it's a great similar to cobweb and stuff it looks like oh this will be a Halloween movie like to give you give you those cozy halloween vibes i wanted to love this movie mm-hmm. um it's one of the best lo- and it's the and the plus column it's one of the best looking movies of the year it really captures a certain style of halloween movie when you think yeah. of like 1960s midwestern halloween it's perfect it the visuals are gorgeous it looks like it's been lifted straight from the imagination of like early Stephen King or Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. Like you literally scooped the ideas out of their head and put them on celluloid. Sawtooth Jack is a gorgeous looking villain. Uh, this idea of like it kind of combines Shirley Jackson's The Lottery with like yeah. Lord of the Flies in some ways with yeah. kind of the outsiders. Um, I really enjoy that. The problem I had with the movie is the script. Hmm. It is putrid. It's just oh, one of the worst scripts. It's really bad. It's really bad. The the end of I, this I'd movie. I'd come to you. I, I would chime in, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. So. See, I a... think it like fit the story and the setting. Like it made like it 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 didn't bother me. But that's all okay. right. You're, yeah. That's you're allowed what drew to me have out your own it. opinion. There's like a <laughs> lot of allowances that are a lot of things that happen that just don't need to happen. Yeah. The last five minutes of this movie are kind of incoherent to me. Things that happen in this movie, I'm like, well, that is completely unsatisfying and doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, which is a shame because like this movie looks gorgeous. Yeah. Now, if you could just maybe like play this movie with no sound and then maybe have whatever Rob Zombie would do for a soundtrack to, oh God. <laughs> uh, to what would be like uh, SS Werewomen of the SS <laughs> in the background, combine those things 10 out of 10. No, but I can see why people do love it. Cause it yeah. does. It is a gorgeous looking Halloween. It, it seems like people either like me really love it and are really mm-hmm. into it or are just it's or not just their like, thing yeah. so it's, 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 no it's that's ground. interesting to me so yeah. you know try it out your results may vary but could go either way <laughs> All right. well we're here for our big two our top two mm. nicole what was your number two so my number two was infinity pool and that was also my number two 
Nice. But we're going to hold off on talking about that. Ooh. Ryan, what was your number two? My number two is Godzilla minus one. Okay, but we're also going to hold off on talking about that. Rachel, what was your number two? My number two was talk to me. Well, talk to us. I will talk, talk to, to you me. about talk to me. Um, this was a big movie this year, so I don't think anybody will be surprised that it's up here this high in the list. Super fun, super fresh. I felt like it just similar, I think, to in, in ways to like Megan and Skin and Rink. It just captured a moment, I think, and it captured that idea of being young and dumb and how casual you can be with your life sometimes. <laughs> but I also found it to be brutal <laughs> at times. It goes further in moments than I wanted it to. Not in a bad way, but just like, oh, God, this is like hard to like, okay, this is mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and I just thought it was interesting. Fresh faces, fresh directors. It had a very distinct, interesting point of view and style and also had a lot of heart at it and had some interesting things to say the ending was not my like it didn't 100 percent work for me but i just loved everything else about this film and like a lot of these other films on this list i was it just made me really excited and so it, yeah. it was great to see folks get really excited about a horror film like mm -hmm. this yeah i i had this on my top 10 as well for all those reasons it was terrifying in parts i thought the scares were really well set up um a lot of times in a horror movie we'll ask like well, why would you make that decision this is exactly what teenage and college kids would do mm -hmm. if they had a magic hand that let you would, would let you talk to the dead this is what i would have done at 18 years old with a magic hand that would let me talk to the dead so i don't fault would i do this at 48 hell no 18-year-old me, absolutely. I thought the opening cold, the cold open was brilliant. Yeah. I thought Sophie Wilde was like a completely engaging lead. Um, I thought she gave a phenomenal performance. And I thought like the scares really worked. I thought this is one of the one of the best, really freshest takes on supernatural horror of the year. And I can't wait to see what these directors do next. Uh, did Nicole, Brian, did either of you catch talks? I mean, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I watched this in theaters and thought it was so good. Definitely an honorable mention, a long list of honorable mentions. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I thought it was really well done in terms of having a character, like you said, you know, being young and being so cavalier with your life, essentially, and making all these poor decisions, but not in a way, like, you're not mad at a character. You're understanding. Yeah. Um, it really does a great job at connecting you, I think, with our protagonist in mm -hmm. that way. Um, the performances are great. I also love Zoe. I think the last name is uh like Terracus or Terracus sure. or something. Um as kind of as Haley this someone that kind of comes in and out of the film but I what just an asshole they are. Um but again in not a way that you're just like I want to punch them. Mm -hmm. But in a way like I have both experienced and probably been that level of asshole at some point in my youth and uh so 
Yeah, in the end, there's it's sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Yeah. I really liked it. Agree. Yeah, I caught this in theaters as well. Uh, it fell just a few spaces below my top 10. Um, I, I feel like it didn't connect for me the way that it did for most people. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just one of those things, you know, um, but I do uh, like it. I do appreciate it and uh, glad that it's kind of gotten a lot of love this year. And it's great to see that. Yeah. All right. Let's move forward with our number ones for the year. And each of us had a different number one. So this is fascinating. What was that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> was it um, yeah. So my number one is Bo is afraid. Talk um, about it. A very divisive film, I think. Uh, because I don't, I, I, not seeing a lot of people kind of celebrate it. I loved it, um, immensely. I saw it a couple of times in theaters and, um, just such an interesting film from Ari Aster. Um, what would you say the because I haven't seen it what would you either. say the comedy horror balance is in this because it say, looks like a comedy yeah it's much more comedic I, I feel like it it goes away I think for, especially from like Midsommar and Hereditary it's not as I think firmly planted in horror I just think there's a lot of horrific elements and imagery that are kind of sprinkled through the film, um, it's very much kind of like a fever dream, an anxiety-riddled fever dream. Um, a lot, I found myself really thinking a lot about it after I saw it, because at first, like with all Ari Aster movies, I think that you have to, like, figure out, like, what am I supposed to do with this film? Like, what, <laughs> what, okay, now what, what, what do, um... And I think that he is just someone who really uses his ability of storytelling to work through a lot of things. Um, and I definitely feel that comes through strongest here. Um, I really like uh, Jacqueline Phoenix's performance. I think it is so ridiculous, but yet also there's something very sweet and that allows you to connect. Uh, the beginning portion of the film, like the beginning third, I think if you do, if you are someone that has anxiety, um, this taps into a visceral experience that will just have you feeling so seen. Um, and I... I like it. I, I. It's just it's an Ari Aster film. I. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't see this. I honestly don't know why because I've loved both of Ari Aster's others movies. I don't know if it's because it's Joaquin Phoenix, because I'm like, oh, I'm not a fan of Joaquin Phoenix. But every time I watch him, I'm like, yeah, that's an amazing performance. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it is. 
I don't know if it's the runtime, but I don't typically, I like three hour movies. I'm like either be less than 90 minutes or be more than three hours. So it's not that I have no idea why I've stayed away from this movie. I think part of me is just like, listen, Ari Aster, why don't you just go to therapy? Like this would be cheaper. Like it would cost you way less money and you could work through your issues and we would all be happier for it. I well, think I maybe that's movies. part of it. I don't know. He could I... still make movies. I mean, I'm not. So you're saying that no one who's ever made a movie has gone to therapy? Like no one has? Well, I, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. But our character goes to therapy in this movie. Like he mm-hmm. is in active therapy and it does not go well. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I, I don't know. I just, you know. He's he's just a director that's going to make whatever he's feeling mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. Um, he went through a really bad breakup. We get Midsommar. He has some family issues. We have Hereditary. Um, yeah. Plus, like, every other of his short films. Um, so he's like Taylor Swift. He has, like, a bad experience, and he creates this art about it. I think okay. that's where a lot of art comes from, yeah, though, to like, be honest. But I mean, you. like, yeah. well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's and true. I gotta say, I'm, w- I'm with you, Nicole. I loved this movie. Uh, I didn't include it on this list because I felt like it, for me, it fell just outside the realm of horror for me. Um, but uh, that's that's one of the things about the genre, right, is it's up to lots of interpretation. I mean, I included Sisu on my list, right? Uh, so... Um, I think this is my favorite uh, Ari Aster movie uh, to date. Um, I would subtitle it Ari Aster Has Mommy Issues. Uh, that is what this is uh, pretty much from beginning to end. But I love I love a movie that externalizes someone's internal state. And that's all this movie does. Everything is just like this externalization of all the fears and anxieties inside a person who is pretty paranoid and um it is um so compelling i think especially the first that first section is so strong that it's like i mean the rest of the movie has a hard time living up to it i think but it is so good and i i loved it all the way through um there's a section in the middle that i thought maybe went a little long but there but there's this when he finally gets to the house and there's a certain cameo by someone that is like oh man this movie just knocked itself into a new gear right now um and so i i adored this movie this was one of my favorites of the year um it's on my it's on my uh our episode (laughs) of movies for life that's dropping with our best of 2023 this movie is on my list there So. so so brian tell us another movie you adored what was your number one movie of the year my number one movie of the year uh was the first horror movie that i saw in the theater this year it was infinity pool uh brandon Mm. cronenberg's third feature um oh what a trip this is and i loved all of the stuff that it's exploring um about obviously you know privilege of the of the rich um sort of the 
ugly American traveler idea, the nepotism angle. Um, there's a lot going on and there's sort of like an existential element. Um, and you have Mia Goth, walking around with someone with a guy on a leash at one point and that is like i have never wanted to be on a leash more in my life than <laughs> this is what um, we call hashtag life goals yes um what i just um i and i've liked uh brandon cronenberg's first two films as well i think antiviral is really interesting i think possessor is great um but this was my favorite so far um and boy i think I think there's a lot of promise in this guy to be mm -hmm. as um, as influential, as groundbreaking as his father. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Rachel, you had it on your list as well. Oh, yeah. I loved this. I thought I, I just like the way Brandon's like mind works and these just mm -hmm. weird fucked up ideas and situations that people get themselves in. And yeah, everything Brian said, all the ideas that it's exploring. Yeah, Mia Goss' performance is just incredible, and seeing you know Alexander Skarsgård and kind of this interesting character yeah. that's like intentionally, I think, a little against type for him sometimes. Yes, um, I just everything about it I thought was very interesting and super fun, and yeah, explored some interesting ideas in a very interesting way. Uh, so yeah, I also enjoyed this thoroughly. Yeah. Nicole, you and I both had this as our number two. What were your thoughts? I I really loved it. I love a film that isn't afraid to go to some really, I think, like interesting, thought-provoking, more of those existential and, and things that you really are thinking about for like weeks after you see it and being like, well, mm -hmm. I wonder what they're trying to say with this. I love the idea of kind of fighting yourself um in your image of yourself and what that looks like and you know having this version of yourself that basically pays for your sins um and transgressions i thought was fascinating and yeah i i'm a big fan of uh brandon's work so far and you can obviously tell that there's an influence of his dad in his work, but I think that he just goes down different paths um, that are so fascinating explorations of like, you know, self and how society views you and, and those types of things. I just think they are, are really fascinating. Mia Goth on a, you know, the hood of a car um Jay. Just, yeah it's just <laughs> so that's a line reading i tell you yeah it's so incredible and you know in a year where she gave some really coming off of a, a year where she gave some really incredible performances um i i don't know just this is such a i, I think an interesting film and definitely if you are a fan of antiviral or possessor this is just gonna like speak to you i remember seeing antiviral when it debuted at fantastic fest and they did a q and k a q and a with brandon cronenberg after and they asked like how much of your dad's films influenced you as a filmmaker he's like not at all 
and everybody <laughs> just exploding with laughter. This is truly like the apple does not fall far from the tree <laughs> right. in terms of like visual style in terms of themes and i am totally okay with that like this is definitely exploring themes of nepotism and you can see him kind of maybe working out some of his own feelings there in, in terms of what's on display at the screen but also this idea of like fighting against like mediocrity fighting this mm-hmm. idea that like maybe I only have a position because we know we have money because we're born into money and I'm allowed to explore art. I'm allowed to explore creativity because I have the means to do so, but I don't necessarily have the talent to do so. I'm not saying that about Cronenberg's. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker, but you're seeing that with the character of, of James here. And this also this idea of like the, um, uh, the ugly American and, how you can turn your sins into entertainment, like them kind of like watching themselves get murdered over and over again and going out of your way to commit these heinous crimes because you know that you'll be able, you're rewarded for it. If you have the money, you can do whatever you want. If you have enough money, you can just buy off anybody that you want and get away with it all. And that's all on display here. And it's, again, we talked about how there's like a lack of like sex and sensuality in a move in movies. And this is a deeply sexual movie. I actually, when I saw this in theaters, a group of like high school boys left during like the orgy scene, like they could not handle it. They got up and walked out of the theater. Like it was too much for them. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, strong recommend. I thought of the three Mia goth performances in the past 12 calendar months i thought this was the strongest of the three and she was brilliant in both x and pearl as well so this was almost my number one yet for one chunky boy um (laughs) rachel your number one so my number one was when evil lurks talk about that yeah i just was so impressed with this i loved just how um it was just brutal at points. It went further than I expected. You know, there's certain things that happen where you're like, oh, no, that's not. Oh, shit, that did mm-hmm. happen. You know, like, it's just it surprised me. It scared me. And I was just really impressed by how um, this film was able to create this world and, you know, convey this this mythology around this plague that infects and possesses creatures around it and these towns to birth this evil and so much of that was just through dialogue and by the interactions between the characters and what we were seeing there and it was just it like it sold me it brought me into this world and i was convinced like they were you know a goat standing there was scary because they were telling me it was scary and i was Mm -hmm. believing them (laughs) like and i just was I thought it was just executed so well and such a great style of filmmaking and storytelling while clearly on a budget, while clearly, you know, working within some confines. I just, it was scary and I cared about these characters and I thought that where it ended up was also really interesting. I was thinking about it long after it was over. Um, And also just, pointing out like another shutter film like there's mm-hmm. several mm-hmm. shutter films on this list and ones that we've talked about i think i don't know shuttered having an incredible year with films yeah. which has not always been the case um 
but yeah this one i ended up it, i found it the most personally affecting i think oh agreed yeah nicole you had it on here as well what are your thoughts yeah i mean everything that rachel said i think is also just you have a family Mm -hmm. And kind of exploring those relationships and those dynamics and how this plague and the mythology and the lore around it and the community around it um, kind of shape that family dynamic and also kind of rip rip apart bits of it as well. Um, Also, I think one of the most, I don't want to say shocking scenes, but the dog. Mm Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, like unexpected, I guess. Yeah, and but I, it telegraphs it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and you know it's coming. But I like. But you're conditioned to think they won't do it. Yeah, but it just does it, and woo, um, talk about like you know, insert the Michael Jordan, fuck them kids mm-hmm. <laughs> here. Um, it's so brutal and definitely like if you if you like that component to your your horror i think you're gonna be well fed with with this one but yeah i i like that it takes um a premise that you know maybe we've seen bits and pieces of before and and does something really really interesting i love that damian rugna throws the audience into a world where because this is my number two uh three he throws you in a world where like exorcists exorcisms are a fact of life like no we accept him it's a thing we're not going to spend a lot of time explaining it it's just like this is part of our world and it builds and builds and builds to what you think is going to be the showcase exorcism but then just snatches it away just like Mm -hmm. just like that snatches it like you don't get that um kids are terrifying in this movie and kids are also in mortal danger in this movie. You have, I think just as shocking as the dog scene is the scene when the other brother is driving down the side of the road and you see something happen and it's not put front and center. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most horrifying visuals of the year. And I won't spoil it, but listeners go and watch this movie right away. It is absolutely horrifying and just extremely well done. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. I thought it was just about perfect. Could have been my, like anything in my top three could have been number one for the year, but for like a coin toss. Brian, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, I love a, um, a movie that sort of explores, you know, familiar territory through a different lens. And, you know, we've seen, so many exorcism movies, but this does it in such a different way. This is sort of like the folk horror version of that, you know, yeah. and I I really liked that. It wasn't bound to a particular religion or anything like that. It was just, um, they don't even call it a demon. They call it the rotten. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. those ideas are just so fascinating and it's a different cultural lens as well, which I love to see and um, just told in such a compelling way. And uh, I was lucky enough to see this theatrically and I'm so glad I did. Um, Cause I, I'm, it's one of those movies where I was watching it, holding on to my, 
armrests, not realizing that I was holding onto my armrests until my hands hurt at the end of the movie, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So just to, yeah, one, again, just like Mike said in my top three, but could have been number one. My only other thought is I love a movie about a parent that will go out of his way to protect their child but every decision they make is the wrong wrong like every choice the dad makes in this movie is the wrong choice and it ends up killing everybody he loves by the end of this movie like that to me is really fascinating and i really love that about this year all right um i think we're just down to one more movie right yeah that's the one my number one of the year we just talked about it on the Patreon. Our big chonky boy, the man with the huge quads, Godzilla with Godzilla minus one. Um, this is not just one of the best horror movies of the year. I think it might be the best movie of the year, period. It does something that I think uh, is really rare in a Godzilla or a monster movie. It makes you care about the human characters just as much as it does love the big kaiju action uh, Godzilla is phenomenal in this movie. I love the score. I said this on the Patreon episode, but I think that the Godzilla overture, I think, might be like as much as I love John Carpenter's score, as much as I love like Bernard Herrmann's music when he worked with um, Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho and Vertigo and others. I think the Godzilla overture might be the best piece of music ever can ever composed for a horror movie ever it's just so beautiful and sad but yet epic and announces itself in such a way this movie made me cry at the end of it i mean it's definitely a melodrama it manages to balance the spectacle and the destruction that godzilla can wreak it definitely does feel like jaws at times it feels like spielbergian at times yet it teaches, I think it has a wonderful message that like in order to be saved, people need to come together and work as communities uh, and don't wait for others to rescue you. And it's just wonderfully done. It is was my favorite thing to watch in a theater this year. And I think it's pretty high in others lists. So, Brian, I know you love this as well. Yeah, I'd, I've talked about this one pretty thoroughly already myself. Mm-hmm. Um couple of times spoiler alert um but uh this is such a great film and i'm again the theatrical experience of this seeing it big seeing um that that creature you know as big as life and having it really feel um tangible Mm. you know was Mm -hmm. pretty cool um i I don't think I've seen another Godzilla movie theatrically. I mean, even like the, uh, the legendary ones. Um, so this is sort of a first time experience of doing that in a theater. Um, but like you said, just the human toll that, and the human story that's going on in this film is what elevates it to another level um, it's very relatable, but also has a lot to say, I think, about, you know, the state of the world, not just in 1945, but now um, mm-hmm. just a really, really compelling movie. Um, yeah. Absolutely one of my favorites as well. Yep, absolutely. Rachel, you haven't seen this. Haven't yet. seen it. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, to. You, Nicole, have you seen Godzilla? I have. I 
I liked it so much. To what you guys have said, I I think one of the, the shortcomings of maybe some of the more recent Godzilla movies um, is that it doesn't really have a good human component to it, a strong human component to it that you can also latch on to. Um, or there have been some entries that almost feel like Godzilla is a little bit of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, I think, is such a beautiful marriage of bringing those two worlds together to really tell a fascinating and kind of heart-tugging but also poignant uh, story. And yeah, seeing it on the big screen is is very choice um but i'm excited it's like mind altering it's (laughs) how do you how do you feel the kids from skinema rink would have fared against godzilla (laughs) probably not well if you could mesh those two movies like how are they getting out of the house i think godzilla would like rip the house open they would probably welcome that though probably thanks kids do love godzilla They do love Godzilla. All right. That is our top 10 for 2023. We put the year behind us. I think 2024, it's going to be an interesting year. I think with like the writer's strike, with the actor's strike, a lot of movies have been um, rescheduled. A lot of movies have been like pushed back in the calendar. So could be fascinating. Um, I'm interested to see how some of these movies I got to catch at Fantasia and... Uh, tell your ride how they're going to fare when we'll see them. There's one movie I caught at Fantasia and tell your ride where if it got an official release, it probably would have been my number one movie. And I think it comes out early January on shutter with a limited theatrical. So we'll see where that one fares next year. I won't mention it. I want folks to discover that for themselves, but uh, folks, what a, what a year, what a year. I'm losing steam here, so we'll edit that part just a little. Well, let's end the episode with some plugs. Rachel, what do you have coming up with Losers Club and Halloweenies and Girls and the Boys? And oh yeah, all, all the other. things. Yeah, Halloweenies. We are going to be entering. Space, You're in space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Nostromo as they uh, discover and battle the xenomorphs. We're going into alien territory, and I'm super excited about that. We are nervous, but we are excited. It's a big undertaking. Can't wait to do that. And then on Losers Club, just wrapped up 11-22-63. I'm going to be playing catch-up, so some lighter fare over the next few months. Um, Super excited to just kind of take a breather there, at least Mm -hmm. for a moment. Yeah, and Girls on the Boys entering season three of the boys. So we're almost caught up, but hey, who knows? By the time season four comes around, we might be there. (laughs) Excellent. Brian, what do you have coming up? Well, on Movies for Life, like I said, we have our top 10 of 2023 uh, coming out uh, probably just after the first of the year. Uh, And then uh, we have our Discoveries of 2023 coming out towards the end of the month. Um, And we just recorded that this morning and lots of stuff on there that you may or may not know about. Um, Lots of recommendations to hand out. yeah, and you'll catch me here for a while on the Pod and the Pendulum uh, talking about my uh, my guy. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited about that. So 
Excellent. And Nicole, what about Bodies of Horror? Yeah, Bodies of Horror is going strong over at the Anatomy of a Scream. Uh, have, we're kicking off uh, 2024 with an episode with Brian uh, talking about the serpent and the rainbow. So very excited to get into some Craven there. Also going to be delving into uh, eugenics in horror, which is just some light, uh, some light topic coverage there. Um, excited for that. Uh, Fun time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, have some really cool guests coming on as well. So yeah, excited for, for 2024. Excellent. Well, listeners, you know us. You know, if you are a fan, if you haven't already, I'm going to ask once again, make sure you've subscribed to the show wherever you are getting this podcast. And please take a moment to rate us five stars, whether it's on the Apple Store or on Spotify. And if you're getting us through Apple, take a few minutes and write us a quick review. That goes a long way to new listeners finding us. Easy, easy, easy way to support the show. Uh, If you haven't already, consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com, going to the pod, uh, patreon.com pod and the pendulum. It's where we have all our bonus content we've done in recent months, Thanksgiving. We've done uh, Godzilla minus one. Sometimes we'll do some non-horror fair. I would love to cover the Iron Claw in January, uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I mean, it'll give me a chance to talk about like the curse of the Von Eriks. Um, I think we talked a little bit about like my run in with Kerry Von Eric as a young boy when mm-hmm. he denied me an autograph on that episode. Uh, but it's a tragic story and the movie is incredible. Like it left me mm-hmm. sobbing during that movie. So I want to talk that and that patron would be the patron would be the place you would do it. So go to patreon.com slash pot and the pendulum. We love your support. Um, listenership doubled last year was just kind of like running through the numbers for the year and like last year was the year things really grew not just like 10 percent year over year but like literally doubled and amazing it Mm. is kind of amazing um so we really appreciate that i think i have my co-host to thank for that i think between jess and rachel and brian and nicole and ariel and devon and steven and I think I got everybody right. I don't think I left anybody out. We have so many of us now. Um, I think that what everyone brings to the table, uh, we have something for everybody. And listeners, we really appreciate you coming uh, week by week and helping spread the word. I would love to double up again in 2024. Um and I think we have a lot of great shows, so we're going to do that. We actually have a year mapped out. We have a ton of franchises that are going to be super fun to talk about, starting with our big green ghoul, Frankenstein himself, where we cover all of the universal Frankensteins. Brian and I will be kicking things off with uh, a deep dive into 1931's Frankenstein, directed by James Whale, starring Boris Karloff, May Clark, Colin Clive, Edward Van Sloan. Dwight Fry. Gonna be a big one. Dwight Fry. Gonna be a big one. Pack a lunch. We're gonna give it the full treatment it deserves. So until then, have a safe and happy new year. Everyone will be back in a week. Take care.